morning and welcome to another episode of Recovery from Politics podcast. I'm your host Kyle Frame and today is Friday, July 30th. Uh, it also happens to be around the time that we are picking up trash in my neighborhood. So if you do hear weird machinery noises in the background, I apologize. I will try to edit that on the back end, but uh, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you don't. <clears throat> so the reason I wanted to discuss today in this new and improved version here. Got some new audio software, so if things do sound just a tiny bit different, that would also help. Um, there's been a lot in the news that I've been kind of putting together, and I think we as a country here in the United States have a very serious mental health problem. Some of this stems from our own identities and how we see ourselves as individuals, as a community, as a nation. Uh, some people identify as states. You know, I'm from Texas. Rawr, that's who I am, right? <clears throat> I don't have that. <laughs> I think it's obvious that I was born and raised in California, but I don't associate or identify as a Californian. In fact, when I joined the Navy and I would tell people, you know, because everyone's from somewhere different there. If you told people you were from California, one of the first questions asked was, oh, do you surf? I'm like, No, not the whole state is close to the ocean. In fact, I, I lived inland in a place called Moreno Valley, which uh, is closer to Death Valley than the ocean, which sucks, because I would have loved to live by the ocean. I love the water. Um, the, the desert, not so much. <clears throat> so, uh, I don't identify with the typical Californian thing. I do lean left on the spectrum, that's for sure. Um, however, I see that merely as a, a choice of myself. Um, Stephen King said eloquently, maybe he just tweeted it, I don't know, um, Basically, when he votes, he always asks himself, what's the kindest thing I could do? And I think that level of compassion is something that is sorely missing to a lot of us. And the recent pandemic has exacerbated that problem. So ProPublica has this tremendous piece, I urge you to go read it this morning, on the rising violence in our nation's cities, Philadelphia, Chicago, New York. They focus specifically on Philadelphia as a kind of microcosm of what's going on elsewhere. And what you should be gathering from this is it wasn't just the pandemic. Okay, the pandemic just hit at the right time for some of these problems, but also that prosperity leads to a kind of lackadaisical attitude to things. You get lazy about things. Um, it's completely in human nature. You see it all the time. When things are going well, people tend to think things that they used, programs that they used, to achieve that, you know, success or prosperity are no longer required and they kind of get shoved off into the background. Uh, for example, if you were a state, if you live in a state where education is number one in the nation and you receive a budget cut, you know, you have to 
reduce budgeting somewhere. It's easy to say, well, you know, uh, we're number one in schools. We can we can kind of cut back on that a little bit. <clears throat> or if crime falls, you might also be enticed to, hey, maybe we don't need to invest so much in the criminal justice system, and that could lead to courts uh, being shut down or, uh, you know, prosecutors, def- you know, public defenders being let go. It, you know, you downsize. So when things are going good, we as a people have a tendency to cut back occasionally. Because you assume incorrectly most of the time, we, we are terrible at this, we hope desperately and we make assumptions based on the fact that, you know, the future is still going to be prosperous. There's still going to be some very good things happening. I personally tend not to think that way. I'm very much a pessimist in that regard. <laughs> I uh, I believe that when things are going well, that you should save for that rainy day. You know, it always boggles the mind to me when I see uh, a young person, uh, usually an athlete, because that's what happens. You know, they stumble upon this vast amount of wealth very quickly and then by the time they're 30 all the money's gone and I always look at that and I'm like why how did that happen and in a lot of cases they don't think ahead they just assume that the gravy train they're on is always going to be there so who worries about spending 20 million dollars in one year when you're going to make another $30 million next year. And if it were guaranteed income, I would completely agree with that. But I tend to hedge my bets. That's just the way my brain works. So, that's basically what happened. In the latter half of Obama's presidency, a lot of cities in this country started getting the idea that what we needed was a little more compassion and a little more communication. They created programs where they would target at-risk youth, and they would invite them to speak with police officers and community counselors, or perhaps merely invest in a gymnasium where they have an alternative to just being out in the streets. They could go there, they could just do their homework, they could read, they could, you know, surf the web for a bit. Uh, Basically give them a quiet space if that's what they wanted, or a basketball court, Uh, you know, uh, martial arts, you know, meditation, anything, basically. Something to keep them occupied, but also something that could help them achieve a sense of peace that we otherwise don't normally have. And you take these at-risk youths, and they obviously are going to school for a majority of their day, and then after school, instead of being on the streets, they're in these programs, they're going to these places. And this isn't just for at-risk youth, this is for any youth, any youth in this city. And city life is very different if you've never lived in a city or in a large area with, with, you know, tightly packed individuals. 
It's very trying on the soul. They don't have normal outlets. They can't go somewhere and just be. So it's important for cities to invest in their youth through these programs. Well, it worked. Homicides and crime dropped. And then we could focus on some of the smaller things, uh, some of the things that didn't make sense. You know, when, when the crime system is not overburdened with crime, it can actually internalize a few things and be like, okay, what can we improve? What can we make better? Okay, uh, another sports analogy for you. If you are a football fan, you know that every team receives a bye week. And if you really know football, you know that the coaches love bye weeks because it's a whole week where they don't have to worry about game planning another team. They have the week to internalize. They can actually have time to go back to review what has not been working and fix it and also find out what has been working and then emphasize it moving forward because they're not burdened with the idea of something big coming down the pipe. They don't have to game plan a team. They can game plan themselves, and they can work on improvement. <clears throat> this is what was going on in the mid-20-teens. Crime was down. Homicides were down. Suicides were going down. They were trending downward, but it wasn't fast. It wasn't a precipitous fall. But it allowed us that opportunity to look inward and see, okay, where can we make improvements? And it worked. There were all these programs everywhere. The police in some areas were able to, you know, hey, we're doing this wrong. Or the Justice Department, the, the, the prosecutors could be like, okay, why are we going after marijuana users all the time? This is ridiculous. Let's stop that. Let's pull back a little. Let's work on the bail system is a huge issue. And everything worked. And everything worked so well that the bean counters and politicians started questioning whether or not we even still needed them. We don't need to fund all these, you know, after school programs because crime's down. And that already was starting to take hold in 2018 and 2019. And then, of course, the worst year in history, 2020, happened. And we had a pandemic. And everything shut down. All those after-school programs, gone. The interface one-on-one -on -one between at-risk youth and a police officer, gone. A place where a child, a young adult, could go and have peace for a few hours of their day. Gone. And also, the structure of in-person schooling. Gone. You had a lot of youths who didn't have a reason to go to bed at night and didn't have a reason to wake up at a certain time in the morning. And then when they did wake up, they had nothing to do and nowhere to go. 
And if they're at or living in a home that isn't ideal, they're trapped. And this this isn't just for, you know, youth. This is this is for all of us. Okay? As someone who's dealt with substance abuse issues, being home alone all day with nothing to do is probably the worst thing you could do to a person who has inner demons. It's horrible. People, all of us, need some level of structure. And with no schools, no after-school programs, possibly bad households or incomplete households, or, or even just maybe your house was fine, but now your mom and dad aren't working. They're at home all day, too, and they're going through the same thing you are. They have no outlet. They have no release. They're, they're at home. And me, I like being home, but I acknowledge that's not for everybody. And even me, the introvert, loves to be able to go out every now and then. So when the pandemic hit, everything went away. Politicians did their best. And what they did was the instinctual throw money at it. They threw a lot of money at people. And for most of us, it worked out okay. But... You're at home. You're alone. You no longer have that one-on-one -on -one communication with the police. And then George Floyd is murdered because a police officer knelt on him for nine straight minutes. There are protests. I don't want to say outright riots, because I saw the L.A. riots. That did not happen this last summer. But there was a lot of violence. The police were using tear gas. You have $1,200 and don't think the police can protect you. Might even think the police are the enemy. What do you spend that money on? We'll talk about that and more after this. Hey, so this is me making an ad for my friends. You have friends? You want to see them succeed, right? Well, my friends Tessa and Nicole have started a podcast about the 90s and the pop culture that shaped our generation. So if you'd like to hear some fun conversation on stuff from the 90s like Wayne's World or MTV or Tank Girl, look where you get your podcast for Doom Generation, again by my friends Tessa and Nicole. They do a great job and could always use some new support. Okay, and welcome back to Recovery from Politics with Podcast. Once again, I'm your host Kyle Frame. Just listen to that transition at the beginning. Woof. Not that fantastic, not that great. We're still working on it, though. Um, this is a one-man show. I have to keep reminding myself that uh, a lot of these professional podcasts and everything else, they uh, there is always a, a sound person that you never hear on there that actually does know what they're doing, and they make the host of the show look good. So this is a one-man show. Um, I got some new software I'm still trying to figure out, and we'll We'll, you know, sand off those rough edges later on, but uh, for now I do ask your, your your tiny patience in the matter. Um, and anyway, in conclusion to our previous thing, you know, 
if you think the police can't help you, and in some cases you think the police might even be the threat, it's not an irrational decision to purchase a firearm. And again, to me, this goes towards some identity that we have. Um, most recently, uh, Charlie Sykes on, uh, I believe it was Politico, penned an article on the Simone Biles uh, situation. She is a Olympic gymnast, uh, universally recognized as the greatest of all time. Uh, she recently opted out of the Olympics. She was there. She wasn't feeling it, so she backed out. That happened a few days ago. There has been extreme backlash from people on the right, the Trumpist right, who are accusing her of, I don't know, being a bad sport. They, their arguments really don't make sense, but it's this, this need for toughness. Like, it should have been, she should have gone out and fought through it. Whether or not she succeeds doesn't matter. They seem to have preferred that she go out, try a special gymnastic move, and if she broke her neck, well, she died doing what she loved. That's kind of weird, but it is this level of toughness that the MAGA right seems to have. But I would argue it's not just the MAGA right. It's the culture of this country. Even leftists want to be seen as tough. You know, if you really want to see a leftist who needs to feel tough, go onto Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or wherever and challenge one on their politics. And they will get all kinds of angry and pissed off and mad and very confrontational if you question their motives or their beliefs or their the their methods they get they get nuts rather than sit back and and admit you know i hadn't thought of that that's a different perspective you might be right or even just flatly you know i choose to disagree with you those are not seen as tough manly things so the reason i bring that up is in places like Philadelphia, which this ProPublica article, again, please read it, it's awesome, um, go into, you have these youths. Say you're 18, you live at home, uh, you know, you have no financial obligations, but hey, you filed a tax return last year, so you get a $1,200 check. What are you going to spend it on? And you may logically go into it and think, well, the police aren't going to protect me, and in some cases they may be the enemy, so I'm going to buy a firearm to protect myself. That may be a totally rational, thoughtful idea and action at the time. But the lizard brain doesn't go away just because the intellectual brain made a decision. The lizard brain's still there. And you still have this desperate need for identity, for connection. So what is your identity? If you're a young man with a gun and someone on the street challenges you and the confrontation becomes physical in any way. The intellectual brain may not have a minute to spare to override and say, hey, this is the time when you walk away because fights don't work out. You could be permanently injured or you could die. 
the guttural lizard brain takes over. And hey, you've got a firearm. A great equalizer. No matter how big the man is across from you, you have a gun. You don't need to back down. You tell him to back down. And it becomes a sense of honor and identity and, you know, how dare you challenge me and anything else. And those boys will be boys attitude, but now amplified to a great scope because of firearms and this testosterone. And it has nothing to do with left or right at that point. The human brain feels challenged. Your ego has now risen. Your id is now present and has manifested itself in this gun. Maybe you shoot them. Maybe they shoot back. Maybe they have friends. Maybe you have friends. And the next thing you know, several people are firing weapons in all directions. And anyone who has been in a firefight overseas, say Afghanistan or Iraq, will tell you that even trained professionals with military precision almost never hit their target. And they are, they are trained for a combat scenario, and they never, ever hit what they're aiming at. Hundreds of thousands of rounds will be fired between two groups, and there will only be two casualties? That happens way more often than the media projects. It happens way more often than movies show. It's not one shot, one kill. Innocent bystanders are killed all the time because of this. It's just human nature in the hands of such raw power of a firearm. And unfortunately... Because the firearm is so quick and it's so easy, and the id and the lizard brain are so strong, it could all be over in seconds. The decision has been made. The trigger has been pulled. Someone is now dead. So it is interesting to me. If I were to tell you two years ago, hey, we're going to do this experiment where we tell thousands of people, millions of people, they can't leave their house for weeks. And when they do leave their house, um, there's going to be nothing to do. The theaters are closed, the bars are closed, the restaurants are closed, the clubs are closed, the libraries are even closed, all social safety nets are closed, the basketball courts are closed, the gyms are closed, everything is closed. Even in the middle of a heat wave, all the community pools are closed. You are stuck. What's your identity? You can't do anything. You have to maintain social distancing. You have people who've been trapped inside for a year or more suddenly being let out, but with no supervision or expertise or anything. And a lot of these people, especially in the inner cities, didn't exactly have a toolbox full of, you know, weapons that they could use to get out of those situations. They only know one thing. And unfortunately, the lizard brain is not smart. It's just reactional. And so it reacts, and it kills. And so you have homicides, 
and crime going up all across the country because of our mental health, the culture of being strong. Even now, even with uh, Simone Biles is receiving a lot of support from all over the world, from fellow gymnasts who know better than to question it, because apparently this is a thing called the twisties, so go Google that if you're unfamiliar. You know, you have those. Uh, you have people like me who, I, I've watched sports. There's this famous boxer, his name was Oliver McCall. He broke down crying in the middle of a boxing ring one time. Yes, he was losing the fight. But you could tell, you know, hundreds of thousands of people have entered that boxing ring and not left crying, not just started bawling in the middle of the ring. Something else was going on. There was more to it than just Lennox Lewis was kicking his ass. And we mocked him for it. We elevated Lennox Lewis like he did he did something I've never seen anyone do before. Did he? Or was Oliver McCall pushed into that ring maybe when he shouldn't have been? Did a trainer or coach or manager or, hell, his wife? You can't back out now. You'd be labeled a coward. It's not just the right that has this problem. It is the left. There are very few people in the world who are able to remain calm and rational at all times and who when their ego is challenged don't immediately feel the need to project some kind of uber strength you know i've had employers where merely asking a question was seen as a direct challenge to their authority it's terrible working for those kinds of people. I'm like, look, I'm not trying to challenge you. I'm trying to get clarification on something. But they're everywhere. There are a lot of us. We want to say something. We don't want to be questioned. We don't want to be challenged. It's in our human nature not to do that. It's It goes against everything to be willing to accept criticism on the spot. There are people, and I'm even one of them, who... If I have the opportunity to walk away and come back at it a few minutes later, I can calm down, decompress, you know, uh, think about things and then be like, oh, you know, they did have a point. But in the moment, oh, I'm horrible at that. I get burning rage, red hot. It's it's crazy. I can't control it. There are very few people who can. And it, even the people who do will tell you it takes years of practice and dedication to that ideal uh, you know, all kinds of mental gymnastics they have to do daily to build up to that point. You know, most of us just don't have that. And going into this pandemic, all these extra services and extra things there were being taken away slowly but surely. Pandemic hit and Iron Curtain came down and isolated us all. And so now the vaccine is out. Hopefully you've gotten it. You better. It's your fault if you don't. Uh, and, and we're all out. And a lot of us didn't get better. A lot of us didn't work on ourselves. A lot of us fell deeper into the hole. So it doesn't shock me when I see homicides and crime and suicide and everything going up. This 
whole year is going to take its toll on all of us. And we need to have some control, some patience with each other, with everyone else. Even the idiots on the highway who cut you off, you know? I'm just as bad as anybody else. <laughs> but we really have to try to look at each other as human beings again, and not just texts on a screen. Anyway, that's today's show. Uh, sorry, I don't know what's going on with my, you know, devices in the background that keeps chiming in. Thanks a lot. Uh, I don't think I'll be able to edit that out. Um, and thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you guys enjoy it, and uh, we will see you next time. Thank you. Before you go, I'd like to remind you we can be reached at on Twitter under politics underscore from by email at recoveryfrompolitics at gmail.com and on Facebook. Reach out, like, subscribe, and share with your friends if you want to help support the show.